In this episode of the Living for Truth podcast, we resume our reading of chapter 41 in Christianity Through the Centuries, A History of the Christian Church by Earl E. Carnes. We left off at heading F in chapter 41, and chapter 41 is titled Evangelical Unity in Diversity. And we resume our reading under heading F. The Holiness Churches While the churches already discussed stress a separate baptism with tongues as evidence, the Holiness Churches emphasize a second work of entire sanctification that enables one to attain perfection. This idea manifested itself in the United States in the teaching of Asa Mahan and Charles G. Finney of a second work that would enable the Christian to be perfect with the old man of sin dead. Phoebe Palmer propagated this teaching in the United States and the British Isles. The Holiness Churches, the Salvation Army, and Wesleyan Churches advocated this second work. The Nazarene denomination began in Los Angeles in 1895 under the leadership of Phineas F. Breesey. By 1908, churches in Texas that were dissatisfied with the Methodist denomination united finally under the name of the Pentecostal Church of the Nazarene. They dropped the world Pentecostal in 1919 and have since been known as the Church of the Nazarene. They, they emphasize a second work of grace for sanctification, as do most in the tradition of John Wesley. The Wesleyan Methodist Church was organized in 1843 because of opposition to slavery in the parent church. The Salvation Army also embraces holiness as a second work. Many holiness leaders in the United States and Canada became Pentecostal. Heading G. Evangelical Parachurch Organizations Just as the non-denominational societies of the benevolent empire promoted missions and social reform in the second quarter of the 19th century, so parachurch groups outside of denominations have been formed to promote Christian work since World War II. All of them, however, would want to be classified as evangelicals and, except for those on the right, cooperate in what have come to be called parachurch and extrachurch organizations. Parachurch groups cooperate with most of the denominations. These growing organizations constitute one of the more important elements to rise in the history of the church and have a variety of services or ministries that they offer to the Christian public. While the exception of some persons to the right, evangelicals have worked together in various types of evangelism to fulfill Christ's great commission. Many organizations with creative leaders seek to reach youth with the gospel. InterVarsity Christian Fellowship which began in England in 1877, was organized in Canadian universities by 1928. It developed in the United States until it was large enough to incorporate in, incorporate in 1941. <clears throat> the Student Foreign Missions Fellowship, created to spark student interest in missions, affiliated it with 1945. It has sponsored the student missionary conventions at Urbana since the first one was held in Toronto during the Christmas vacation of 1946, with about 800 students in attendance. In 1990, over 19,000 were present at the largest Urbana conference to date. K-12 
Campus Crusade was organized by Bill Bright in 1951 to present the gospel to students on the campus of UCLA. This businessman and seminary student promoted a more aggressive type of evangelism and discipling process for converts. His organization set up Explo 72, which brought 8,000 young persons together in Dallas in 1972 for intensive short-term training in evangelism. There were about 13,000 full-time staff members in 1994. His Four Spiritual Laws approach is a widely used tool in Christian witness. Although his ministry never took the form of an organization or movement, Francis Schaeffer, through a study center in, at his home in Le Bray, Switzerland, and through his writings and film series, reached many upper-class intellectual dropouts and disenchanted students with the gospel, which he presented in, at a high intellectual and philosophical level. He also stoutly defended a high view of the inspiration of Scripture, both in his writings and in meetings, such, at, such as at the Luzane. Youth for Christ International was organized in 1945 with Tory Johnson as president. It grew out of Saturday evening meetings for young people. Billy Graham was its first traveling representative. A meeting at Soldier Field in Chicago on May 31, 1945, drew 70,000. <clears> Under the more recently adopted name of Campus Life, after-school clubs for elementary and high school students and youth promote conversations and conversions and Christian living. Young Life was created in 1941 by James Rayburn to reach high school students by the organization of Bible study groups. The Torchbearers, with headquarters in Capernway, England, was formed by Ian Thomas after World War II. Through personal witnessing of its members in short-term Bible schools, it has reached thousands all over the world. Other organizations have been formed to meet the need of special groups. <clears throat> the Officers Christian Fellowship, organized in the United States in 1943, ministers to over 350,000 officers in the armed forces. Dawson Trotman founded the Navigators in World War II, to win sailors to Christ and to disciple them in the Christian life. Billy Graham enlisted the aid of the Navigators in the development of the follow-up program for his converts. In 1898, some businessmen founded the organization called the Gideons. They have given much time and money to placing copies of the Bibles in hotels, motels, and schools. During World War II, they distributed copies of the New Testament to young people in the various branches of the armed services. The Christian Businessmen's Committee International began in 1931 and was incorporated in 1937 to help businessmen in evangelizing their colleagues and in the development of their own spiritual life. This organization now reaches around the world. International Christian Leadership under the guidance of Abraham Veraday, has, through prayer breakfasts since 1954, sought to reach political leaders in all levels of government with the gospel and to support them spiritually in their lives. In the early 1990s, a college football coach named Bill McCartney began an organization for men called Promise Keepers with its goal of encouraging laymen to renewed spiritual leadership in the home, the church, and society its weekend conferences held a large, in large arenas in major metropolitan areas were attracting up to 1.5 million men by the mid-90s. 
A clergy conference for men was held in February 1996 with nearly 40,000 present. Evangelicals have successfully used both radio and television in evangelism. Paul Rader in Chicago in 1922 and R.R. R. Brown of the Omaha Gospel Tabernacle began to use radio to spread the gospel in 1923. Both Charles E. Fuller's Old Fashioned Revival Hour and Walter Mayer's Lutheran Hour pioneered in gospel broadcasting. Billy Graham's Hour of Decision, first on the radio, then on television, has had an audience of many millions. Catherine Coleman, Rex Humbert, and Oral Roberts saw and developed the potential of television in their ministries. Pat Robertson's 700 Club and Jerry Falwell's Old Time Gospel Hour reach millions of followers who contribute nearly $150 million annually. 36 religious TV channels and 1,300 religious radio stations are estimated to reach an audience of 50 million people each week. Several evangelical parachurch organizations have promoted social action. World Vision International was organized in 1950 by Robert W. Pierce, who, was also, who also founded the Samaritan's Purse Relief Organization. World Vision supports orphanages in many lands and has provided food, medicine, and shelter for refugees from war, and natural disasters. The Medical Assistance Plan has also provided medicine and supplies for missionary hospitals and needy people after disasters in such areas as Pakistan and Cambodia. Pentecostal David Wilkerson's Teen Challenge in New York reaches young drug addicts. His organization claims that 70% of the drug addicts they help are cured. This is a much higher rate than that of any secular agency. His book, The Cross and the Switchblade, popularized his work. It also influenced the beginning of the Roman Catholic charismatic movements at Duquesne University in 1956 or in 1967. Heading H. Evangelicals for Social Action Over 50 evangelicals met in Chicago over Thanksgiving weekend in 1973 and issued a declaration of social concern expressing repentance for past lack of social concern and political action. A meeting of 500 in Chicago in 1993 with Ron Sider as president condemned racism and poverty and stressed social reform as well as evangelism. A more belligerent group, led by Jim Wallace, emerged in Trinity Cemetery, Seminary in Deerfield, Illinois, and moved to, to Washington in 1975. The magazine Sojourner is their mouthpiece. Heading I. Evangelical Feminism and feminist movements. Young professional women with graduate degrees who were present at the meeting of Evangelicals for Social Action in Chicago in 1973 felt the need for a separate women's organization. At a meeting in Washington in 1975, they organized the Evangelical Women's Caucus to promote the interest of evangelical feminism. Nancy Hardesty traced the movement back to Finney's era and influence in her book, Your Daughters Shall Prophesy. The, or the organization eventually began to take a more open stance on some issues, such as abortion and masturbation, as expressed in the third edition of the book by Hardesty and Letha Schizoni. All Were Meant to Be, 1992, was the title of the book. They based their arguments for more power, power for women on Galatians 3.28 and Charles G. Finney's work with women. This, shaft, this shift in focus promoted or prompted the formation in 1989 of another group, Christians for Biblical Equality, that wanted to remain in the evangelical mainstream 
and in fact soon outnumbered the EWC. Patricia Gundry was ably worked out has ably worked out formulas for successful feminine action in her book Neither Free Nor Slave. Heading J. Return to Evangelicalism in Mainline Churches. Evangelical organizations have emerged in many denominations in order to call the church back to the former evangelical doctrine and life. The Presbyterian Lay Committee, incorporated in 1965, and the Presbyterians United for Biblical Concern work within the United Presbyterian Church USA. The Good News Group, with organizational headquarters in Wilmore, Kentucky, sent in, since 1967, were carrying on the same work in the United Methodist Church. The Lutherans Alert and the Fellowship of Witness in the Episcopal Church have similar functions. Anglicans in Canada lost about 35% of their members from 1970 to 1990. Low Church Evangelicals met in 1944 in Montreal and adopted a statement of essentials of faith they desired for the Church. The Renewal Fellowship in the United Church of, of Canada since the 1960s seeks to bring that denomination, that denomination back to orthodoxy. More evangelical ministers are coming into the Anglican Church in England. These evangelicals seek to recall their denominations to earlier witness and faith. Some evangelicals disparaging from, of reform from within have turned to founding new churches. The Presbyterian Church in America, separated from the Southern Presbyterian Church of the United States in 1973 because they opposed being in liberal ecumenicalism and departure from orthodoxy. By 1990, there was over 221,000 members in the church, and it is still growing. In other churches there are departing, that are departing from the faith, some have adopted a third way to return to evangelical doctrines. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, was in turmoil in the 1970s over the faculties minimizing biblical inerrancy at Concordia Seminary. Many of the more liberal members of the faculty and 400 in the, of the 600 students left Concordia in 1974 to form a new seminary. The majority of church members remained in the church to reassert biblical authority. Evangelicals in the Southern Baptist Convention got control of the presidency and the major committees in the 1980s. They forced many of the more liberal people off the church boards and out, out of its seminaries. Evangelicals now have more power over the 15 million member denomination. These three techniques of retreat from liberalism are encouraging to evangelicals. Heading K. Changed Attitudes Among Roman Catholics since Vatican II, the Roman Catholic Church, 960 million strong, has adopted a more open stance toward Protestants, calling them separated brethren, instead of heretics and schismatics. This acceptance, together with the charismatic revival among Roman Catholics and common causes such as opposition to homosexuality and abortion, promoting moral values and culture and espousing greater religious freedom, has enabled Roman Catholics and evangelicals to work together. About 30 evangelicals led by Charles Colson and Richard Newhouse met in April 1994 and drew up a document entitled Evangelicals and Catholics Together, The Christian Mission in the Third Millennium. The document supports chastity and family values, parental choice and education, and opposition to abortion and sexual immorality. Although offering differing on theology, Catholics and Protestants felt they could work together toward common ethical and social goals. 
I encourage the listener to read 2 Corinthians, that we should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Okay, I will resume the reading now. This openness among Roman Catholics exemplifies the great changes that occurred in the church after Vatican II. From the French Revolution on, the papal leadership had tried to maintain a closed society insulated from the liberal political, economical, social, and religious changes in Europe. Benedict XV, from 1914 to 22, sought to develop more uniformity in the church with the completion of the codification of law by 1917. In 1943, Pius XII, in Divino Aflante Spiritu, encouraged Roman Catholic scholars to make more use of the findings of the archaeology and textual criticism. At the same time, however, he reinforced the link with the past by his proclamation in 1950 of the bodily assumption of Mary into heaven by miraculous means after her death. The catalyst for a tide of change that could not be stemmed occurred in 1959 when John XXIII, who had become Pope the previous year, announced to his cardinals his plan to hold a new ecumenical council. The council, which met from 1962 to 65 in four fall sessions, was, according to John, to advance agiomorento, or renewal, or bringing up to date. He said that he wanted Vatican II to be pastoral, rather than doctrinal or governmental. Supporters of change and of reaction clashed during the sessions, at which about 2,700 Roman Catholics and some Protestant observers were present. Rather than bringing an immediate major change in doctrine or polity, Vatican II created new attitudes that have affected relations with the Protestant and Orthodox denominations. Reflecting the, the new spirit, individual leaders even raised questions about papal infallibility. John's assertion that the content or substance of doctrine should not change, but that forms are open to change, may well open the way even to doctrinal change. The importance of the laity was recognized by many references to them as the people of God and assertions of their spiritual priesthood. They were allowed to participate in the Mass, which was now permitted to be carried out in the vernacular of each country. The Bible and tradition were linked in a new way by considering them to be one expression of the Holy Spirit. Bible reading on the part of the laity was encouraged. Church leaders promote base cells in the Roman Catholic Church in Latin America that are made up of lay people who study the Bible and apply it to their social situation. Often it is with a Marxian twist. There are thousands of these cells, especially in Brazil. Protestants were described as separated brethren, rather than as schismatics and heretics, as in the past. Cooperation in the ecumenical movement, forbidden earlier, was encouraged. Liberty of worship for all was accepted. Cogility of the bishops with the Pope was proclaimed, and John's successor, Pope Paul VI, called a council of bishops. Its acts were not effective, however, without the proclamation of its decisions by the Pope. The Pope opposed both birth control and clerical marriage, two issues that continue to divide the Catholic laity in America. 
Pope John Paul I died after only 34 days in his office in 1978. Pope John Paul II, from Poland, is a more colorful and popular pope, understands communism better, and is more conservative than his predecessors. He faces many problems, such as falling attendance at, at Mass, Latin America, liberation theology, the demand for the ordination of women, and scholars who question certain doctrines of the Church. He has reacted vigorously against the more liberal tendencies of Hans Kuhn and Schillebeck's with disciplinary measures. He promulgated a new code of canon law for the Church in 1983. Cooperation in ecumenical ventures, however, still continues. Pius XII, in Mortalium Animos, 1928, had forbidden ecumenical cooperation. If there was to be any reunion, he declared, it would come about by the return of the schismatic churches to the Roman Catholic Church. In contrast, in 1960, Pope John created a secretariat for promoting Christian unity under the leadership of Cardinal Bay. Five Catholic observers were allowed to be present at the meeting of the World Council of Churches meeting in 1961 in New Delhi. A joint working group of Roman Catholics and representatives of the World Council had met, have met several times since 1965 to chart paths of cooperation and possible eventual union. Protestant and Protestant observers were cordially invited to be present at Vatican II. Pope Paul VI met with the Eastern Patriarch Athenagoras in Jerusalem in 1964. On December 7, 1965, Paul in Rome and Athenagoras in Constantinople revoked the mutual excommunication of each church by the other in 1054. All of these openings to the world are in sharp contrast to the closed church of the 19th and early 20th centuries. Protestants can cooperate with Roman Catholics on social problems and moral issues, such as abortion, while recognizing that there are doctrinal issues that separate them. Purgatory, papal infallibility, the role of Mary, the relationship of tradition to church, to the scriptures, and the real presence of Christ in the Mass are examples of this difference. Evangelicals of all kinds can unite on basic the theology and ethical values in modern society. They can preach and pray for needed renewal, but not lapse into mysticism or anti-intellectualism. In their colleges and seminaries, they do well to remember, as George Marsden points out in The Soul of the American University, that until the Civil War, colleges and seminaries linked religious faith and character development with the acquisition of wisdom and knowledge. With the rise of emphasis on research in 1875, the curriculum gradually became more secular until by World War I, theology and ethics had been forced out of the curriculum. In the pursuit of accurate research and thought for academic excellence, teachers in Christian colleges and seminaries are in danger of setting aside theology and ethics based on the Bible, and in so doing, of directing people away from the path that leads to spiritual excellence. Truth cannot be abandoned for exp expediency. Academic and spiritual excellence can and should coexist. Head and heart, scholarship and passion should be in balance in our intellectual institutions. Here ends the reading of chapter 41. And unlike the reading of other chapters, I'm going to add just some brief thoughts to this chapter.
this is off the cuff. We must remind ourselves as Christians who uphold the Bible as sufficient and authoritative. We adhere to the Reformed uh, pillars of the five solas, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, by the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. The Catholic Church does not adhere to these doctrines. The Catholic Church is at present apostate. Evangelicals and Catholics together is a false and dangerous notion. We do not believe the same things. We cannot, as Christians, assume that Roman Catholics are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They are the mission field. And I will stand by that um, until I die.